I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Um, how, many, uh, how many of you have ever been seasick? Anybody ever been sick? That's a lot of fun, isn't it? Uh, I will never forget, I don't think, Brother Fred Hepner Sr. telling me about a time when he was in the Navy years ago and uh, they were sailing along and the seas were so rough that they had to strap them in their bunks to keep them from being thrown out. I'd be puking my guts out. Okay? I'm telling you right now, that would be pretty nasty. If I remember correctly, that took place actually not far from where today's story takes place. I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Acts chapter number 27. The last time we were here in the book of Acts a couple of weeks ago now, Paul had taken charge of the courtroom in Caesarea. He challenged King Agrippa. He challenged Festus and everybody else there to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ and be saved as a result. As far as we know, not one of them did, unfortunately. But Agrippa said he was almost persuaded, almost, but lost. He then walked out of the courtroom and he looked over at Festus and he said, you know what, Paul could go free if only he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Uh, Yeah, right. Anyway, um, I'm kind of thankful probably he wasn't set free because if he had been there in Caesarea, he probably would have been murdered. So many people were after him. So many people wanted him dead. We'll never know since he now would be shipped out to Rome. Just like it's almost impossible to get a direct flight to anywhere without a layover somewhere along the line, Paul ended up changing ships three different times before he would finally make it to his destination. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it is what we'll begin to hear about today. If you're able, I invite you to stand this morning as we begin to read about some of the worst of it. In Acts chapter 27, we're going to begin reading with the first verse Hear the word of the Lord today. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Keep your Bibles open this morning. We'll be back. God bless this word, we pray. Use it in our hearts to make us more like Jesus. We ask it in his name, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. So as Paul begins to make his trip towards Rome, we find out in verse number one of today's passage that he's not alone. 
Luke is with him because Luke uses the word we once again in this passage. So we understand Luke, perhaps as a personal physician, goes along on this journey with Paul. We find out in verse number two, another one of their buddies, a guy by the name of Aristarchus from Thessalonica, is also traveling with them. So at least Paul won't get lonely. We also meet a new character. Everybody say Julius. This wasn't orange Julius. This was another guy. This Julius was a Roman centurion. It was his job to make sure that Paul, as well as none of the rest of the prisoners, would escape as they made this trip. We'll find out as we go along that there were other prisoners on board. We'll find out, too, that there were other soldiers that were with them on the ship as well. Some commentators, most commentators, believe that most of the other prisoners that were on the ship were actually on their way to Rome to face the gladiators, to provide entertainment, to provide blood sport for the Roman crowds that couldn't seem to get enough of it. And so you can imagine what their mood might have been like on the ship. They all boarded the ship in the harbor here at Caesarea, and they began their about 2,000 mile sail towards Rome. Um, it normally would have taken about six to eight weeks if everything goes well. It was common at that time for them to stay close to the, to the coast. They would spend the night on land and kind of avoid the open sea, especially if they were sailing into the wind, which they were. The first ship they got on was from Adramidium. That's way up here, uh, but it had sailed around the Mediterranean, was down here in Caesarea. And so they climbed on board that ship. Now, most of the ships at that time were all cargo ships. They would carry their cargo down below deck. And um, if they also took on passengers, so if you wanted to join them, you could. But you had to find a place in the cargo where you could maybe work out a little bed for yourself to sleep on top of the bags that were down there. Or you could find a spot up on the open deck and, and spend the night and day and everything. There were no private cabins. There were no midnight buffets. This ain't carnival, okay? This was a cargo ship. Initially, they made pretty good time. They landed about 75 miles north up the coast at Sidon. Uh, and pulled in there. Paul had some friends in just about every city by now. And Sidon was no exception. Probably because Julius had learned to trust Paul back at Caesarea. He gives him liberty. He lets him go on, on the shore. He lets him see his friends there at Sidon. And take care of him until they're ready to sail on. Now verse 4 gives us a little bit of a clue of what's to come. Everybody say against. The wind was against them. It says, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because the wind was against them, they had to go on the upper side of Cyprus before they landed up here at the port of Myra. Now, along the way, they would have passed two important cities to Paul. They would have passed Antioch which was Paul's base of ministry. That was the home of the Gentile church. And then they would have passed by Tarsus up here, which was Paul's hometown. And I almost bet you that as they sailed past those places, Paul probably had a longing look to each of them 
and begin to wonder, will I ever see either of those places again? Far as we know, he never did. Myra was somewhat of a major shipping port in that day. That's where they changed ships. They had a layover. And they got on a, uh, on a new ship that had license plates from Egypt. It was from down here at Alexandria. And uh, it was taking grain up to Rome. Rome um, would import about 100,000 tons of grain every year. They would give it out free to the people in Rome to keep them from rioting. Sound familiar? Um, Many of the people in Rome were unemployed. And if they began to get too hungry, riots would break out. So the government bought up huge supplies of grain down here in Egypt, most of it produced by slaves, and then they would ship it up to Rome and hand it out free to their people, while actually the people in Egypt were starving. Because they shipped out so much of their grain. Based on other ships from that particular era. uh, According to the archaeology study Bible. We believe that this second ship was bigger than the first. It was about 180 feet long. It was about 45 feet wide. It could carry about 1200 tons of cargo. The wheat was kept down below deck in waterproof skins. Because if the wheat got wet. What does it do? begins to swell (laughs) and it could double in size and down in the hull of the ship it could literally begin to push the hull of the ship apart you don't want that (laughs) and so they made every effort to try to keep the cargo the the wheat uh, the grain dry some think that this was probably the worst kind of ship you could possibly be on in a storm because it had pretty much a flat bottom so that it could carry more grain, make more money, right? And it's just such a ship that we find Paul on, on his way to Rome. Even though this second ship is larger, they're still having problems making headway. They finally land here at Snidus. Um, that's about 130 miles northeast of Myra. And then they sailed down to a place called Fair Havens, down here on the lower side of the island of Crete. But Luke says they did that with difficulty. Everybody say difficulty. This this trip is not the easiest for them. Now, I want to pause for just a minute and say you might not be very interested in all of these various ports on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, but Luke certainly was. Why was he so concerned? Luke was very detailed in what he wrote down. You see, about uh, 200 years ago now, there were a bunch of folks uh, in, in Scotland, but also in other places too, that believed that the Bible was very inaccurate. The Bible could not be trusted. It had all kinds of errors in it, mistakes. And a lot of these stories were made up so long after the fact that they were not to be trusted. And so there were a group of people in Scotland that were under that impression. And they chose one of their own men to go down to the Mediterranean area, investigate all these spots in the book of Acts, and prove Luke wrong. That was their goal. Let's, you know, we've got to expose this so that people won't believe this foolishness. And so they chose a man by the name of Sir William Ramsey himself. He was part of their group. He was a doubter. He was an atheist. He was a a cynic. He didn't believe all of this. 
He was an archaeologist, and so they sent him down to that area, and he began to go to each of these ports that are mentioned here, but also the rest of the information book of Acts. He studied every single one of them. Sir William Ramsay became a Christian because what he found was exact in his description. Every single detail was accurate in every way. My friends, I want you to know today, you can trust the Bible. You can trust it. There are so many people today that don't. They believe it's a book of fairy tales. They believe it's made up. They believe it's outdated. My friends, it is accurate in every respect. That's one reason I show you maps. That's one reason I show you pictures of people. And that's one reason I talk about places. Because I want you to know these are real places. They're real people. They were real events. Just as real as you and I are. Just as real as the events that go on around us today. You can trust the Bible. Verse number 9. Look back now at your scripture once again. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, men, I could see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And so they're here at Fair Havens, and uh, that's where they composed the song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? They couldn't decide what they were going to do. Paul said, Paul was convinced, don't go, he said. This is not a good idea. But, but, you can't argue with the experts, right? Julius, the centurion, he listened to the pilot. He listened to the ship's owner, who was after money, obviously. And so they made a decision to sail on. Um, what is a prisoner doing giving nautical advice i mean think about it. paul's a prisoner and he's trying to tell them what to do well think about this paul has already taken three missionary trips he has sailed over 3500 miles already on 11 different voyages he he probably has more experience than several of the sailors on board and so he's got a good bit of advice to be able to speak from in fact Paul not only knew the seas, he knew the maker of the seas. And perhaps the maker of the seas had told him a few things about what to avoid and be careful of. If you read the book of 2 Corinthians, which was written before this happened, Paul says he was already shipwrecked three times. That's enough. He's not crazy about doing that again. And so Paul's got some experience. For one thing, it was after the fast. It was getting late to sail on the Mediterranean Sea. You see, in those days, summer was the best time. We're we're getting into the time right now of the year when it's best to sail on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Spring and fall are kind of iffy. 
The earlier in the spring, the later in the fall, the worse it is. And only someone suicidal would sail there in the wintertime. They were getting into a very difficult time. Since Festus took over in July of A.D. 59, he heard Paul's case very soon thereafter. And so Paul is probably being shipped out somewhere about mid-September, perhaps. Maybe even late September. And even though sailing was dangerous, there was still money to be made. You don't want to leave that on the table. These guys were the ice road truckers of that day. (laughs) They're going to risk it. They're going to take the chance and go out there and make a buck. Luke says it was after the fast. That that fast that he's talking about is the fast for the Day of Atonement. The Jewish holiday that falls there in the the fall. And according to uh, calculations, A.D. 59, the fast would have been on October the 5th. And so they're after October the 5th. It's getting late to sail in the Mediterranean. But Julius is going to go with the experts. Okay? He sides with the pilot and the owner of the prison, uh, and the owner of the ship, wouldn't you? Instead of listening to some prisoner there. The majority said, sail on. My friends, how many times have the experts been wrong? How many times is the majority wrong? I want to caution us today to be careful about always listening to experts and majorities. We need to take their advice. We need to listen. And many times they're right. But if it ever conflicts with what God tells us, we know who we need to listen to. Amen? And so let's be sure that we do. Beware of deciding everything by vote. That can be a very dangerous way to do it. They made a mistake that almost killed all of them as they set out for Phoenix, which is only about 40 miles down here on the end of the same island. What what could go wrong, right? Verse 13, we'll find out what could go wrong. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. So far, so good. (laughs) Paul was wrong. The experts were right. Keep reading. Before very long... A wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm, could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Everybody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. A wind of hurricane force. It's at least 75 miles an hour, okay, to get to be a category one. The Greek word 
Typhonikos is the one we get our word typhoon from. Here are these guys in a typhoon in a flat bottom wooden boat loaded with grain. Any volunteers to join them? Yeah. Now I want you to, I want you to remember today there are no satellite phones. There are no emergency beacons. There's no Coast Guard out there. Just a really bad day at sea. Anybody ever watch Deadliest Catch? (laughs) Yeah, this is like one of those storms on Deadliest Catch. Except they don't have a diesel motor to turn around and, and face into the waves. They are at the mercy of the sea at this point. According to the Cultural Background Study Bible, winds could accelerate down the Palinatinus Valley here on the island of Crete. They could accelerate and easily drive a ship out into the open sea. Put that together with a wicked early northeast winter storm and you have what turned into a two-week nightmare for all 276 people on board. I'm sure it was caused by climate change, aren't you? They should have listened to Jim Cantori before they left. Okay. No weather channel. No weather app on their phone to check before they head out. Um, And so they got into a good bit of trouble. In the Mediterranean Sea, well, hopefully we can get, there we go. In the Mediterranean Sea, Archaeologists tell us that there are over a thousand shipwrecks from about this period of time. They were certain they were going to be the next. Nevertheless, they fought against it with everything they had, and yet they were still being driven along. Everybody say driven. That means they're not sailing. That means they're not in control. The wind and the waves are in control And are driving them along. After Luke apparently helps to secure the lifeboat. They then tied the ship together to keep it from coming apart. Wouldn't that make you feel good? (laughs) They're they're putting these ropes over. What are you doing? Oh, we're tying the ship together. (laughs) Um, That gives you an idea of how desperate these people are. The sandbars of Sirtis in verse number 17 are down here just up off the coast of Libya. They were shallow. They were hidden underneath the water. And that's where many ships met their grave. Many sailors went to their early watery grave in that area. They had no way to tell where they were. They didn't have GPS maps, Google maps on their phone. They, they didn't know where they were being driven to. But they had heard about the sandbars of Sirtis. And it wasn't that far away. And so they were concerned about all of that. They lowered the sea anchor. We're not exactly sure what the Greek word means there. It could also mean the main sail. To try to slow themselves down. And keep them from being driven too far too fast. Shows you how worried these folks were. I mean, this was a very desperate situation. And then they begin to lighten the ship a little bit more by throwing the cargo overboard. 
This was serious. That's money. Every single bag that they toss into the ocean. And then it says the ship's tackle. You know what that is? That's, that's the rigging. That's the ropes and all of that stuff that you put the sails up and down with. They throw it in to try to lighten the, the boat. Luke concludes this paragraph with verse number 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. And the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everybody say hopeless. This wasn't a couple hours. Wasn't a day or two. He said after many days. We find out next week that it was two weeks altogether. And so these individuals begin to resign themselves to seem what, in, what was inevitable at that time. A death on the high seas. They gave up all hope. Now we're going to leave these guys in the middle of their storm today. I know you might not be comfortable with that. Believe me, they weren't either. (laughs) But we're going to come back to it in a week, God willing. They actually endured it, as I said, for two. But if only they had listened to Paul. Right? If only they had listened to Paul. My friends, how much pain, how much heartache, how much shipwreck and misery we could escape if we would only listen to God. If we would only pay attention to what he has to say. Today in America we have neglected God's message and God's messengers. We, we pay attention to the experts. We pay attention to the majority. We have ignored the clear warnings that God has given us over and over and over again. And look where it's gotten us. Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked, my brothers and sisters. We are experiencing a devastating shipwreck as a result of our foolishness, ignorance, and arrogance. As our society crumbles around us, as our rights are being yanked away from us, as our churches cave to the culture, as riots burn down our cities, may we listen to the voice of God. May we heed His warnings. Let's stop listening to the world and let's listening, listen to the one who made the world. Amen? I have to warn you, He may tell us to throw some things overboard. When you're in desperate times, you do desperate things. You find out that you don't need a lot of the stuff. A lot of the cargo That we may normally carry. Storms have a way of forcing us. To jettison unnecessary baggage. And so I want to ask you this morning. Is there anything. You need to throw away. That you can better serve Jesus. Something that is dragging you down. Something that is bringing you into the rocks. Maybe it's a destructive relationship. You know it's not of God. You know it's, it's, it's fraught with evil and problems and sin. 
Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a destructive habit that you've been involved in. And you know it. You're aware of it. You just don't want to give it up. My friends, listen. You want to give it up? You want to have a shipwreck. You see, that's the choice that we have. Maybe it's something like gossip. Oh, that's not so bad, is it? My friends, I want you to know today, gossip has ruined far more churches than many of the other things that we consider to be bigger sins. It's all evil in God's sight. might even be a hobby. Let's say it's a hobby, you know. Nothing wrong with it in and of itself. Only that hobby has begun to take more and more of our time and our money and our energy and, and, and our attention so that we are neglecting the things of God. My friends, ask God today what you need to get rid of in order to better serve Him. And then get rid of it. And then get rid of it. Verse 13. Verse 13 says that when a soft wind blew, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. Today, my friends, there are many soft winds blowing that are promising us what we want. Happiness through pleasure. Happiness through recreation. If I just have enough money in the bank to be financially secure, it's a soft wind that begins to blow. Young people that see drugs or alcohol as a gentle breeze. Promising happiness, popularity, whatever else it might be. Promising to take them wherever they want to go in life. Husbands and wives who are lured by the gentle breezes of an affair. Only to be dashed on the rocks of despair. Oh, we hoist our sails to those deceitful breezes, don't we? Oh, this is going to take me where I want to go. And then they begin to drive us. And then they begin to rock us. And then they begin to wreck us. Let me ask you, dear friend, what soft wind is tempting you today? What soft wind is promising what you believe will take you where you want to go? And yet in your heart and mind, you know that's not right. You've lined it up with the word of God. You know it's totally, totally wrong. But you're convinced it's going to take you there anywhere. Anyway, beware of the sinful breezes that lure us in. Because those little bitty breezes turn into category five hurricanes. And before we know it. We're in big trouble. May we listen to the warnings, not only of Paul, but of all the scripture. Listen to Jesus himself that we might not end up shipwrecked. Finally, this morning, some of you may be going through a storm today. You're in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe it's because of decisions you made that you shouldn't have made. Maybe it doesn't have any, maybe it's decisions somebody else made that got you into that storm. Maybe it's just life. Some of you have been in that storm for 14 days. Some of you maybe 14 weeks and maybe some 14 years or more. You've been driven. You've been battered. You've done everything you know to lighten your ship and to stabilize your life, but nothing seems to work. 
Maybe like these folks, you've given up hope of ever being saved. You just, that's what you've thrown overboard is hope. You don't see any way out. Perhaps like I have before, you've even considered and contemplated suicide. Your ship is sinking fast. My friends, if that describes you today, I want to... I want you to listen to the voice of God. In the book of Psalms, chapter number 93 and verse number 4. I love this. It says, mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Amen? Everybody say, mightier. God is mightier than your waves. He is mightier than those winds. He desires to save you. The Lord on high is mighty. If you're in the middle of that storm today, don't give up. Press on. Don't give in. Hold on. God will see you through. He wants to see you through your storm. But we have to depend on Him. We have to listen to Him. We have to obey Him. I want to close this morning with a reference that you're probably even more familiar with. It's out of the book of Mark chapter 4. Some of the other gospel writers describe it as well. Jesus and his disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. Sailing in a boat. Jesus is actually asleep and the winds come up and the waves begin to toss and everything else. And they wake Jesus up and they say, oh, we're going to die. We're all going to drown and all of that. And remember what Jesus said. Oh, ye of little faith. And then he did something else. Verse 39 of Mark 4 says, Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Mark says, completely calm. My friends, I want you to know this morning, Jesus can calm our storms.